0: This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Austin Hoffman. Austin is the Mission Wolf Education Caretaker and is currently recasting the education program at the Sanctuary. Spreading knowledge about the wolf and its vital role in our ecosystem is a prime objective of the organization. On the side, his passions include advocating for workers' rights, basketball, odd reptiles, and books. He has a degree in sociology and philosophy. Austin, uh, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having us on. So uh, let me ask, what's your favorite favorite odd reptile? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the axolotl. It's a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a... Or the Mexican salamander, which is like a... It's a neotenous creature that's pretty much stuck in a tadpole form its whole life, but it gets like <laughs> a foot long, and they look like little aliens. Uh, so I, I've always uh, enjoyed those little critters. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So
0: how did you get involved with Mission Wolf?
1: When I was a kid, wolves always always captivated me for some reason. And you know, if you talk to anybody out at Mission Wolf, uh, most people have had a, a fascination or been drawn to wolves for one reason or another. But you know, if I were to point to one thing, I mean, of course, being raised alongside dogs all my childhood and all my life. But I read White Fang when I was oh. like ten years old. Uh, and, Jack London. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, which is not necessarily an accurate portrayal of wolves by any means, but uh, that hooked me, and so I you know, always had that um, that passion for the animal. And then after I graduated college and. Things I, I was working myself to death, and I just thought, like, if I don't try this right now, if I don't give this a shot right now, I'll probably never do it. And I had known about Mission Wolf for some time, and just pulled the trigger, and, and it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made, for sure.
0: Now you mentioned dogs. It's it's said that uh, dog dogs evolved maybe fifteen thousand years ago from a proto proto wolf, so they're they're close, uh, they're very close, but they're not mm-hmm. the but they're not the same.
1: Yeah, correct. The general consensus is that all dogs did come from wolves. Um, Yeah, anywhere from 10,000, 15,000 years to potentially, you know, 50,000 years or more. And I think that our fascination with wolves or or why wolves tend to evoke such strong emotions in people, both good and bad, is because of our closeness with the domestic dog, for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, how many wolves are in residence right now?
1: Uh, Right now, we've got 30 wolves and wolf dog crosses registered with the USDA. Generally, you know, for the past... Decade or so, we've housed anywhere between thirty and forty wolves and wolf dogs, and then we also are a sanctuary for rescued horses too. So we've currently got eight horses there.
0: Now, on the wolf side, do they tend to live out their lives at Mission Wolf, or is there is it some transition?
1: Generally, once an animal arrives at the sanctuary, yes, they do tend to live out the rest of their existence there, but. I mean, with that being said, uh, we get animals from all sorts of different backgrounds. So uh, we'll take in puppies from commercial facilities, zoos, and safari parks. Uh, we'll take in a lot of rescues and surrenders that are older. So, uh, but as far as I'm aware, uh, most of the wolves that, that once they arrive, they tend to spend the rest of their lives at Mission Wolf. Yeah.
0: Mm hmm. Now, I had the pleasure to spend a week in Yellowstone last February. The wolf's been reintroduced there, and there's a special emphasis on the importance of the wolf in that ecosystem. That's part of your message.
1: Yeah, definitely. and. That's the idea of trophic cascades, which is just a fancy word for an energy waterfall, if you will. And, you know, some ecologists um, like Aldo Leopold, for instance, had uh, pioneered this idea way back in the 30s and 40s, but it wasn't until Yellowstone that became to uh, sort of be accepted among amongst a wider scientific community. And that's the idea that predators, like wolves, help regulate the uh, all life forms below them. So in Yellowstone, they found that by reintroducing wolves, they were modifying or regulating the behavior of prey species like elk, deer, mm-hmm. and bison. Mm-hmm. And by forcing those pe- uh, species to migrate and not overgraze in the valleys and near the rivers, That it decreased erosion, it increased water retention and vegetation, and so it actually uh, improved the health of rivers, of the fish. The water became colder, deeper, healthier. It allowed for sapling trees to grow. So, for instance, in the 20 years since the Yellowstone wolf reintroduction, we've seen uh, the height of aspens, willows, and cottonwoods quadruple. We've seen biodiversity skyrocket. Beavers are back. Muskrats are back. The coyote population is now under control because wolves are regulating that, and. and In turn, rodents are regenerating, raptors, ospreys, eagles are back, grizzly bears are helping to reinforce the effect of the wolves. And so the ecosystem is really thrown back into balance in a way that nobody really anticipated.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh, is, that yeah. Yellowstone Basin is a, is a great laboratory for that because there's so much open, you know, sort of undeveloped uh, land around mm-hmm. there. Tell us a bit about the history of Mission Wolf, sort of when it started, what, what the original objective is, how that might have changed over time.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, Mission Wolf, like a lot of wolf sanctuaries, kind of started by accident. So uh, our director, Kent, who a lot of folks in the Valley here sure. know, because um, we've been around since the mid-80s. But Kent came out here before starting You know, in the world of animal welfare. He was actually an architectural engineer for a law firm in Denver. And he kind of got tired of that, kind of got tired of the big city, the rat race, as he calls it, and wanted to come out here. And he had a few wolf dogs that he wanted to provide a a good space for, a good home. So he Mm -hmm. uh, bought one plot of land out here and basically one of two things happened. People wanted to come out and give him more wolves and wolf dogs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because um, generally as soon as when people buy a cute wolf or wolf dog puppy as soon as it grows up, it becomes wild and they don't want to care for it anymore. And so he take he took in many of those animals and eventually said, Well, I guess I'm never gonna have my rustic dream home in the mountains and <laughs> went ahead and started the nonprofit Mission Wolf. And then over the course of, you know, 10, 15 years, more people wanted to come and see the wolves and learn about them. Right. And, and see this mountain man with his wolf sanctuary. And he'd say, Well, okay, you can see the wolves, but I want you to help me feed the wolves, help me build a cabin, help me, you know, do some landscaping and that's really how 30 years later, the sanctuary is run. is basically by volunteer labor for folks who just have a passion for nature and these animals and want to lend a hand.
0: So you mentioned volunteers. Uh, how many volunteers are there currently?
1: Currently, we've got eight uh, full-time live-in volunteers. And uh, yeah, to be clear, we, we are a community of people based around the wolves. So largely, folks get room and board and, and a, a very small stipend, um, depending on seniority and time commitment uh, for their labor. But it varies seasonally so I, I
0: would think, in the summertime you'd be you 'd probably have more volunteers that 's when folks are available weather 's good and all
1: yeah, definitely. so in the summertime is, is certainly our high season, and we'll you know we 'll double in size um, we 'll have around sixteen full time staff and a lot of those are college students studying wildlife biology, ecology, environmental mm-hmm. science who come out for three or four months and just help us deal with the literally hundreds of volunteer groups we have come out. And then a lot of drop-in visitors as well from around the country. Do you get the number of volunteers that you need? Uh, yeah, generally. Um you know, the, the, the life of, uh, of college students and, and lots of, of folks right now is pretty transitory. So <laughs> things happen and things come up. So, you know, it's, it, the, the community there is always in flux because people are coming and going. Just a couple days ago, we got a guy named Nick who's from the United Kingdom. You know, we got a couple international folks with us right now. And that's also really cool is that uh, as soon as... It's it's a difficult thing, but also a fun thing. Is that the community is always changing? So as soon as you get used to the people you're with, somebody leaves, somebody new comes in, and you build a new relationship. And and it you know it forces you to get outside your comfort zone and learn about new people and, and a diversity of life experiences.
0: I'm sure that's true. Now, if I wanted to volunteer with the idea that I'll be spending my time petting the wolves, <laughs> I would guess that that's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, that's correct, Gary. And and you know we do have uh, what we call the ambassador wolf. Pack, if you mm-hmm. will. And uh, those are our, I call them the weirdos because they're, they're, they tend to find humans interesting rather than scary. Mm-hmm. So on our feeding days out at the sanctuary, which are Wednesdays and Saturdays, we generally try to do a, what we call a wolf behavior session in which our director Kent and myself will kind of talk about how to properly relate to predators and, and how to focus your attention and your body language to kind of talk mm-hmm. with them on their level. Because of course, I can't teach a wolf to speak human. I have mm-hmm. to teach humans to speak wolf, basically. And so so those are the animals that folks can get the chance, and I say chance because it's up to the animal if they want to interact with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the animals, you're correct, don't really want to have much to do with humans. They're indifferent at best, and, and some of them are, are, are actually quite scared or, or territorial of mm-hmm. people. So
0: uh, I've I've had the chance to do one of those meet and greets, I yeah. call it, and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a fun experience. Oh. Thinking about volunteers, I like the quote on your volunteer webpage. Sort of describing the ideal candidate, and uh, this is sort of long, but let me share this quote from the uh, the Golden Age of Sci-Fi. This is a <laughs> quote from Robert Heinlein's character Lazarus Long: A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone. Comfort the dying. Take orders. Give orders. Cooperate. Act alone. Solve the equation. Analyze a new problem. Pitch manure. Program a computer. And cook a tasty meal. Specialization is for insects. So this is this is uh, the type of person you're looking for. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for uh, for bringing that up. I forgot that quote was on the website, and it's a great one. But yeah. I we do want to have well-rounded staff and people who want to learn and gain new skills. I mean, the bottom line—if you want to volunteer, whether short-term or long-term—is if if you're there for the animals and if you're willing to learn and you're humble, then that's the type of person we want. But you know, myself, when I arrived, I did have like lots of skills as far as my educational background and like my my basis of knowledge and and working with people. But I've learned how to process food for the wolves, taking meat donations, do a lot of forestry work mm-hmm. now. Um, I've learned a little bit about cars too. So my skills have just, just really expanded. And, <laughs> and it's great to, to pass those skills and, and to learn alongside other people. And that's the thing too, Gary, is that we've kind of become just as much of a sanctuary for people as we have for, for the wolves. <laughs> it, it works both
0: ways. Yeah. So now that Heinlein quote seems like a good description for Kent Weber, your uh, executive director. Tell us about him.
1: And Kent's just really an inspiration to us all. And one of the, I mean, for instance, one of the things I really respect about Kent is he, he always says, like, I don't want to be like, your director or your boss or like your supervisor, like I just want to be your friend. Man, I just want to like work together with you. And uh, so he's a really humble guy. He he hates when you introduce him as the director of Mission Wolf. He just wants to be Kent, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, for somebody to start a wolf sanctuary in the middle of nowhere and devote their life to that, it takes a special kind of person. He's a he's a jack of all trades. Can help you fix your car or help you fell trees and help you process food for the wolves and then teach you about how to relate to animals and mm-hmm. how to relate to other people. He He's really big about, and we all are, is about what can the, these animals teach us about ourselves and what can they teach us about having better relationships with other humans and resolving conflict. Um, and so that's, that's a big focus of the sanctuary too.
0: Another focus of the sanctuary is sustainability. It seems an important theme. You've got uh, solar power, passive solar, greenhouses, those low impact teepees. How, how does that fit into the organization?
1: You know, Mission Wolf, of course, being first and foremost a sanctuary for the animals, but it, we want to be an example of how people can live sustainably and simply within their means and leave a small footprint on the earth. The sustainability aspect is is a big focus, and we've got two geodesic growing domes, which courtesy of Growing Spaces, Pagosa Springs, which is a great company we've worked with for a number of years now, and those are self-regulating uh, growing domes, allow us to grow food year-round, so we're trying to grow you know, up to 80-90% of our own produce here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of vehicles, of uh, diesel engine vehicles that are converted to run on vegetable oil, so pick up vegetable oil from here in town, you know, Chappies. The Roadhouse, Silver Cliff uh, Mountain Inn, and we'll process that down, and we get free fuel that is not polluting the environment and we get rid of the community's waste for them. And yeah, as you mentioned, the tipis, you know, um, there's a reason that Native Americans lived in tipis for thousands of years, is because they're a low impact structure, easily you can move it, it doesn't leave a footprint. Mm -hmm. And they are cool in the summertime and if you stick a stove in them, (laughs) they'll they'll keep you warm for the winter. And people tend to be really inspired by the sustainability as well. We get a lot of folks out there who want to see the wolves, but they also are really interested in just the community. Now your focus is education, tell us about that. Uh, a big passion of mine has always been education, and that's you know what I want to uh, go into in my future career as well, or, or over time. But we have a philosophy of experiential education, and that's why we allow people to observe the wolves firsthand and, and get the chance to meet them, is because if you come out there for a tour, which you have, Gary, um, you know that there's lots of cool facts you'll learn uh, about mm-hmm. ecology, biology, the physiognomy of wolves, and the pack structure and the social structure, which people generally are really interested in. but just because we're humans, we'll only remember maybe 20% at best of all that information. Uh, but people tend to remember meeting a wolf, seeing these animals up close mm-hmm. and, you know, getting that eye to eye experience. And so, you know, we kind of have this saying that was actually imparted to us by a, a fourth grade class Kent can't work with is that I forget uh, what I hear. I might remember what I see, but I do remember what I touch or experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Yeah, I mean, we've got kids, you know, just two days ago, we had um, a classroom from the Gardner Elementary School come out and and see the wolves and and, uh, learn about ecology. But we'll have students from Northwestern, Rice University, Colorado, of course. to come out here and, and supplement what they're learning in the classroom. I do lectures with students and we talk in the abstract about the theory and the history, which you know, really gets me going. But we, we put that into practice. You know, so we have a balance between the theory of wildlife and wildlife management and then the practice of what we're actually doing with our hands on mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis, which is really great. And I think that's the best way to learn.
0: It's said that uh, wolves are found in uh, 13 states. Mm-hmm. They're, they're making a bit of a comeback, it seems. Uh, but they're, they're hard to spot mm-hmm. in, the, in the wild. They're fairly rec- reclusive. Yeah. But a place like Mission Wolf, you can get a look. Is there a best time to visit? I know, you know, feeding happens on sort of a regular basis, mm-hmm. and then they, they hole up for a while. Right, uh, right. Suggestion for folks that want to come out and visit?
1: Definitely. I mean, um, we invite folks to come out on the feeding days, definitely, which are Wednesdays and Saturdays. So we only feed the wolves basically twice a week to mimic their feast and famine cycle in the exactly. wild. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we give tours from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on feeding days. And uh, right now in the wintertime, you know, it's our off season, so we'll feed the wolves anytime between noon and six basically okay. but folks can come out and watch feeding you know help us process the wolves food if you want to do some volunteering times that are not great to come as, as you kind of alluded to gary is is the days after they get fed so <laughs> thursdays and sundays the wolves are, are really lethargic really reclusive just want to sleep it off because they just ate mm. a quarter of their weight in food but pretty much, I think, uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays are the best days. But we're, we're flexible. We'll welcome people anytime. It's a pretty open community. And we're just happy people are making the trek out mm-hmm. there in the middle of the mountains to, to learn about these animals. It's
0: great. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks can find more out at uh, missionwolf.org. Yeah. Uh, we've been visiting today with uh, Austin Hoffman, who's the uh, education caretaker at Mission Wolf, truly one of the gems of the valley. Austin, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Gary. It was great to be on. My name's Gary, and this has been Valley Views. We'll see you next time on the radio. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground.